Welcome to Fun is Fundamental. Fun is Fundamental is a podcast for those who realize that the enjoyment of life is about having something deep in our souls which lights our fire. It's for those who maybe have lost that fire and feel like they are missing out on the pleasures of life. In each episode, I will share recent fun activities and focus on why having fun is essential for good health. I'm your host, Alenia, and I invite you to take this journey with me and join the pleasure-seeking movement. Good afternoon, I guess. Is it afternoon there? Uh, <laughs> good afternoon, Rich. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And it is afternoon here. I'm on the East Coast. So it is afternoon, 35 minutes now in the afternoon. <laughs> I, I, It's still morning here because I am on the West Coast. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm forgetting where you... That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're, on the, you're on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about... Uh, about what you do and and about centering prayer sure sure um well i have a website called the easiest way to describe what i do is i have a website um and the website's called silenceteaches.com so it's devoted to a practice called centering prayer which is a, a wordless prayer so when you think of praying most people think of it as talking um, maybe chanting, maybe singing, praying can be anything, but, um, and I do practice in, you know, multiple types of prayer, but centering prayer is wordless prayer where we're, we're being quiet and letting God pray in us uh, what we, and, and we'll get, and as part of the interview, I'm sure we'll get into what is centering prayer and how do you do it? But essentially I have a site called silenceteaches.com that's devoted to a, a silent prayer practice called centering prayer. It's wordless prayer where we're just sitting with God. Um, similar to, I have a book that came out over two years ago called sitting with God, a journey to your true self through centering prayer. So that's what I do is I, I have this website. It's about five years old at this point. And I simply like to share the practice with others in case it can help them as it has helped me since I've been practicing it um, going back to, I guess, late 2013 um, and how it's kind of healed me and transformed me and helped me connect to my true self. And I simply want to share the practice and the idea of sitting in silence with God in case it can help others and, and in case it resonates with them. And, and it's not the only way to practice um, being with God. Um, it works for me. And if it doesn't work for you, then I, then I encourage you, you, anyone to find a practice that best resonates and works for them. It's not the only way. It's one path and it's a path that has worked really well for me. How did you discover Centering Prayer? I was um, on Amazon. I was perusing in late 2013, I was perusing Amazon, simply looking for a book to read, and I came across a book called Healing the Divide, Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots by Amos Smith. So I sampled the Kindle version, and, I, and it intrigued me. So I um, purchased it and began reading it. And I had been looking, and in his book, he talks about Amos, and he had been, up until that point, he actually had been practicing centering prayer for, I think, at least 20 years, even at that point in 2013. So it immediately piqued my interest. I, I liked the idea of silence. I liked the idea of sitting with God. I just didn't know how to do it. So when I began reading his book, I, I realized here's a practice that I can do and try and see if it works for me. So I found found the book, uh, found Centering Prayer in Amos Smith's book in late 2013 and really began trying it out for myself and haven't looked back. I've, I've been at it since, you know, late 2013. And what's the, what's like the history of Centering Prayer? I mean, I'm sure it goes like, it's like probably like a really ancient thing, but like at least in modern times, like what's, what's the sure. history of it? Right. I mean, the idea of being silent goes back, you know, thousands of years. It, it goes back, you can think about the Old Testament, be still to know I'm God. It goes back to Jesus. We surmise that Jesus didn't just babble all the time, that he went off alone to be with God or, or when he fasted in the desert, as, as, as we read in the, in the New Testament, that Jesus was practicing some type of silent prayer, maybe centering prayer, I don't know, but but some type of silent prayer. So the idea of silent prayer is thousands of years old. Centering prayer itself, um, the practice is about a 50-year-old practice. It was actually created by three Trappist monks in the early 1970s, so three Catholic priests. They saw that, uh, and, and their names were uh, Thomas Keating, William Manager, 
and um, Basil Pennington. You know, they saw that uh, other groups were practicing silence um, and it's, it's skipping uh, TM, I think transcendental meditation. They, they saw a lot of that happening in the, in the secular world and they wanted something for the kind of the Christian world. And one of them, Father William Manager, was reading a 14th century book called The Cloud of Unknowing. And as he read this book, and kind of a method of silent, wordless prayer seemed to pop out of the pages. So he began discussing it with the other two priests. And then they really began um, practicing what they called centering prayer in the early 1970s. They began teaching other clergy, and they began, more importantly, rolling it out to, to the public, who could benefit from this type of practice. And then about 10 years later, the Contemplative Outreach Organization was created, which is really the main centering prayer organization. With And they have a ton of centering prayer resources. They have groups that practice whether at a physical location or via Zoom, really all over the U.S. and internationally. And that website is contemplativeoutreach.org. So, so really centering, so silence thousands of years, a practice known as centering prayer, about 50 years old at this point with a main organization called Contemplative Outreach uh, with, with, with their website with a lot of resources. And how does silent prayer and century centering prayer differ? I guess silent prayer, you can think, I mean, they're really kind of one in the same. They're, they're, you can think of it as centering prayer is a practice and there's various ways to sit in silence. So there's, there's centering prayer, which, which we can eventually talk about how you do, do it. There's another practice um, created by a gentleman by the name of John Maine, ironically similar about 50 years old as well called Christian meditation. That is another way of sitting in silence. Some people practice kind of the Jesus prayer where they're reciting, you know, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And they're sort of reciting that either out loud or, or just interiorly. So there's many different ways to silently, even though that actually ironically doesn't sound like it's silent, but, in a, but I guess most of the time you're doing it interiorly. So there's just different ways of just sitting and being with God. You can do it with painting. You can do it with just taking a walk. So it, these are all practices that open us up to God. So for, for example, with centering prayer, we believe we're opening to the presence and actions of God within. So we think of centering prayer as a practice or, or portal to God. And uh, these are all different types of practices of practices of being with God and opening to God's presence. So you wrote, you wrote a book, uh, sitting with God, a journey to your true self through centering prayer. Uh, why, why did you write the book? It's Amos Smith's fault. No, I'm joking. When I say that, <laughs> I, I mentioned that I had read his book, healing the divide, um, back in 2013. And then I reached out to him on his website and, and just emailed him on his contact page. And we began a back and forth dialogue because I just had lots of questions about what is this centering prayer? How does it work? What's happening? And we began a back and forth dialogue. We became friends. And then initially, this was before my site, I was working with him on doing some social media for him and just kind of working with him. And I had a, a meditation that went off of his site on day and his normal meditation went off on a different day. And then one, at one point, he just challenged me and said, you know, I have my book and it's more, I'm a, he currently isn't, but at the time he was a pastor and he said, I'm, my book is more um, academic and you seem to be really enjoying centering prayer and you might be able to help ordinary people, non-pastor people with, with the idea of centering prayer and how it has helped you and healed you and transformed you. So he encouraged me to write a book. So um, initially, I thought he was crazy because I had never written anything more than five or six pages in college. So maybe I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to do a whole lot of writing. But um, I kind of listened to him and he, and he said just what the centering prayer means to you and, and, and how it has healed you and transformed you. And, and what does he also talked a lot about in his book, uh, what, what he called the Jesus paradox, Jesus being God and human at once. So he said, just think about centering prayer, think about this Jesus paradox and write down sentences that come to mind. So I did and shot him back an email. And then he said to me, well, there, and this was, I, this was like an early 2014. He came back and said, there you have it. Those are the chapters of your book. Go write. 
Well, <laughs> I <laughs> spoke to my, I decided, well, let me first, I just picked one sentence and I just wrote one chapter and I figured he would read it and he would be like, my God, this is terrible. And I'm sorry that I asked you to do this. Well, to my surprise, he, 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 he was, it piqued his interest. He thought it had an interesting take and he said, you need to continue. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I should. So I, I spoke to my wife because I didn't want to take time away from the family. Um, and, and I said, what do you think of me writing a book? And she said, I think you should go for it. So I decided I, I would. And I decided I, so, so I wouldn't take time away from the family. I would write it on Saturday morning. So this is pre-COVID. So I began writing it, I guess, in, in late 20, middle to late 2014. I actually got up at, and went off to the local Starbucks. They opened at 6 a.m. And believe it or not, I don't think I could do it now, but I disciplined myself to write from about 6 to 9 or 10 a.m. in the morning on, on most Saturdays with a cup of coffee and my laptop. And that's really how the book got got written over maybe a two-year period. And then obviously with some editing and, and, and then finding a publisher and that type of stuff. But so it was Amos's fault, but in a good way. And, and it was a, a really neat experience um, to write the book because I guess every time I wrote I think of it as I was opening to the presence and actions of God and just letting the words flow out of each chapter. Like I had a basic idea of what I wanted each chapter to be, but many times I didn't know what would come out to me until I actually sat down and write, wrote and typed, I guess, and, and let it flow. Yeah, I imagine writing a book can feel kind of like a spiritual endeavor. <laughs> yeah. It was. It, it was a really neat experience, particularly for most of the book, because a lot of it was kind of how I was feeling and what do I think, let's let it natural, let it flow. I, I mean, there was, I guess, one or two chapters in the book that required some research. Um, so that was more of a, like, I have a chapter on Jesus and what do we know about the historical Jesus? Um, and then I had another chapter on kind of the, the cosmic Christ. So those I sort of kind of read what other people did, took notes, listened to, you know, listened to them speak. And then I, when I wrote those chapters, I kind of looked at my notes and and typed what I thought was most important or, or what most piqued my interest. But a lot of the other chapters were just it, it just flowed or if, at any time during the day, I could something would pop in my head and I'd be like, oh, that's got to go in the book. And I would just jot it down and in my iPad in the notes section to save for when I do write. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so let's, I guess, talk a little bit about how how do you practice centering prayer? I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so centering prayer, how you do it is you, you, know, you sit comfortably with your eyes closed and then to begin your, your period, you introduce what we call a sacred word. And it's usually one or two syllables. And it could, it could be love. It could be ocean. It could be a color. It could be beach. It could be Jesus. It could be God, trust, or I'm here, whatever you want it to be. And it just signifies that you're, this is your special time. You're sitting with God and you're opening to the presence and actions of God within. And then as you're sitting there, when you, be, when you realize you have engaged your thoughts, and what I mean by that is you begin thinking about everything you did before your sit, or you begin thinking about all the errands and things you need to do after your sit, you realize you're really not sitting with God, you're not sitting with the present moment, you're sitting with you, and you're planning and you're plotting. So that's when you reintroduce that sacred word interiorly to bring yourself back to the present moment and the purpose of your sit, of just sitting with God and opening to the presence and actions of God within so that's, so that's what you do as often as needed during however long you've decided to sit, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes or, or 20 minutes. And the only other thing I'll say is you don't use that word as a mantra. There are mantra practices where you're saying it interiorly over and over again. In centering prayer, you're just using it when you realize, there I go again, and I'm engaging my thoughts. So sometimes you naturally say, oh, you catch yourself and you don't need your sacred word. Um, other times, all of a sudden, you realize, there I go again, and, and, and I'm daydreaming or thinking about an upcoming vacation. But that's what you do for as long as you need, you know, when you need to, for as long as you decide to sit. So it sounds simple, but sometimes it's not so simple just to sit silently with yourself because things come up that maybe you don't want to come up. Or it just can feel like an eternity and you feel like I should be doing something productive instead of just sitting here. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I've definitely tried tried meditation for sure. And that there's definitely times where you're just like, what am I doing? Like, yeah. Um, so I I I'm any I feel like anyone who has like just been at the beginning of a a practice, a meditation practice or anything similar to that, um, recognizes all of the the uh pitfalls <laughs> like it kind of you get into at the very beginning so yeah how how did you get started um like how long did you do it and things like that when you first started sure and so and so before i discovered centering prayer in, in amos smith's book i still was sitting in silence because i had heard that okay. silent was transforming and powerful i just i didn't know what, so i would just sit and i would try it for one or two minutes and it was brutal and painful, but I, but I had heard it's powerful and transforming and I just need to keep at it. So I'm thankful that I came across Center in Prayer because it made it easier to sit in the silence rather than just sitting there and not knowing how to keep myself in the silence and how to keep myself in the present moment. When Center in Prayer, you used your sacred word and that, was, that helped me stay in the silence. So I think it made it easier for me. So I began practicing it more faithfully, I guess. And I don't know what's magical about the date, but June 1, 2014, I decided I really wanted to take this practice seriously. And I would try to practice it twice a day, up to 20 minutes each day, which is what the Contemplative Outreach Organization recommends. They, they recommend to, to benefit from this type of practice, try to do it twice a day and try to do it for up to 20 minutes because, which makes sense. So it, it, it can take up to 20 minutes to really declutter your mind and, and be calm and, and be peaceful. And, and they, it's kind of a neat thing they say. They say like the first sit is for, um, you know, maintenance and the second sit is, is transformation. So mm -hmm. I think just the idea of, of two sits a day can really help you and, and benefit you. So um, that's kind of how I began. And, and I guess what I would encourage anyone, though, is just to take baby steps. So if the idea, if, if they've never practiced at all any type of sitting in silence, I, I would suggest maybe start with five minutes and, and see how it goes. And that's what I do like when I, when I teach it in front of church groups or other groups that might ask me to talk to them about it and have never been exposed to it. I'll teach them how to do it. And then we'll just do it a five minute sit together to, just so they can get used to it. And most people will say it wasn't that bad. Um, the five minutes wasn't as that bad and it wasn't as painful as they thought it was going to be, but take baby steps and then slowly work, work the time up to, to 20 minutes if you, if you can. Yeah. And so is that your practice now? 20 minutes twice a day? It pretty much is, but sometimes I flex it. So there's like when work, when work was really busy a couple of years ago, I actually shifted the practice and realized I needed more silence. I needed, I needed, it helped me get through the day. So I actually, my first sit was about 20 minutes, but then I had two other sits, but I just shortened each sit. So those were like 10, about anywhere from seven to 10 minutes each. And I, I would do one like right before lunch. And then I would do another one, two or three hours later. And, and I found that I needed kind of, a, an, I needed those two rather than one pauses in the afternoon kind of to help me get through the busy, hectic time. Mm -hmm. um, so that, so the only thing I recommend is, is you, you know, look at your life and put the sits where they belong. So for me, I love starting my day with a silent sit. It kind of prepares me and starts me for the day. And then my second sit, right now, I'm pretty much doing two sits a day. But sometimes I flex it and do two, two in the afternoon and shorten each one. But those, those sits kind of reset and refresh me. So you know, I've worked for four or five hours on a work week that it is, and I'm fortunate that I can work from home. Um, I, it's a nice pause. It's a nice reset and restart and re-energize me so that I can um, finish the day as, as strongly as I started the day. Mm -hmm. What benefits have you gotten from doing Centering Prayer? prayer? I guess, yeah, when I look back at myself, um, so if I compare myself pre-centering prayer and post-centering prayer, you know, I'm definitely, uh, uh, one, a much more confident person in myself versus uh, after centering prayer. 
and some of some of it is in some of the things I'm doing. Like I, I published a book of you know, the book. I guess it was about 280 pages or so. So the idea of that's a lot of pages to write. And so I'm, I'm confident that I can do a major project like that. I've done a ton of pod, I've done over a hundred podcasts. So in the beginning, I was scared to, to do the podcast. I've done a lot of guest speaking in front of small and large groups. So my confidence has, has grown. And, and in my day job, my day job, the confidence in my day job and ability to do it and figure new things out and speak in front of people and give presentations is, is it has improved. So confidence definitely um, mm -hmm. to kind of more of a inner peace and calm or an ability to, even if there's chaos to, to stop, slow myself down and become more calm and peaceful again. So I can get through whatever the task is that seems chaotic at the time. I think I'm more willing to listen to people rather than jump to what is it, when you listen to someone, many times you're thinking about what you're going to say rather than listening to them. So I think I'm better just listening to people and then reacting uh, or sometimes you don't need to react. They just want to know you're listening and you just acknowledge what they've said. So I think I'm better at that. And then uh, maybe two more things, you know, an excitement for life that I didn't have before. Not that it did, not that I did not enjoy life, but it's, I'm kind of more open to life and what it brings to me and accepting, accepting it and, and going with it. And the last thing is just nudges to get out of my comfort zone and try and do new things, which are many of the things I'm doing as a result of my practice, you know, none of them were on the radar screen. So having a website, publishing a book, I'm writing a second book that, that I'm in the middle of doing, you know, speaking in front of small and large groups, that type of stuff. None of that was on the radar screen. Uh, and so I'm, just a lot of nudges to get out of my comfort zone and try and do new things. So a ton of neat, neat fruits. Yeah. What's your second book going to be about? Um, the second book is, is going to be about kind of how centering prayer can help you deal with the daily news, whether that's what you're seeing in the media or, and, and I don't want to even confine it to like, obviously in the media, we all kinds of stuff, you know, from, you know, COVID to post, I don't know if I want to call it post COVID because we're kind of still in COVID, but in a different COVID. So in post COVID to uh, any, you know, any of the terrible crimes we're seeing or shootings we're seeing or, or inflation or changes in the, in the workforce and, and jobs being outsourced overseas. But I think it's even more than that. It's just dealing with our dealing with our own daily news of what can come up in life and how a practice such as centering prayer can help us cope with what the headlines are telling us, but can also help us cope with our own lives and things that happen in our own lives. So a lot of that will be in the book. So it helps uh, with existential dread because <laughs> that's like how how I feel like like when I watch the news, I'm just like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, everything is imploding. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sometimes, or actually, sometimes I like even I remember during when COVID first started, finally I had to like I had to stop because it was so depressing and you had to think, well, what action can I? I can't I don't want to freak myself out. I need to listen and understand what's going on. I need to I need to do some of the things to keep myself safe and my family safe. But I can't keep reading the headlines of, of unfortunately all the people that are passing away and all the things that are happening. I, I can't keep reading this and just scaring the heck out of myself. So I, I stopped. Sometimes you have to stop watching the news and stop reading it because it can become very depressing. So you have to center in prayer kind of help me, you know, let go of what I can't control and hone in and focus on what I can control and what actions can I take based upon the, the current circumstances. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good self self care is like to have that boundary of like, you know, like how much can you, can you take in and like, what should you be consuming for sure? Yeah. Right. Is centering prayer only for Christians? No, I, I would say um, anyone can try it. And that's what I like to tell people. So yes, it was created by three Trappist monks, three Catholic priests. But the neat thing about that, the organization Contemplative Outreach is they do a lot of kind of interfaith work. So they're, they're talking with people of all faiths. And, and I like to tell people, you know, anybody can practice centering prayer. Anybody can sit 
and try the practice as I described it, wherever they are and whatever they believe. If they believe in God or don't believe in God, they can sit with um, and open to the presence and actions of the universe, of, of spirits, or of maybe they don't even know what they're doing other than they're just going to sit with the, pre- for the present moment and see what happens. So I, that's what I, I share with people. I, anybody, anybody can try centering prayer. I mean, for me personally, I, I think of it as when I do my practice, I'm letting God pray in me and God's praying in me the actions God wants me to take and God's praying within me what God knows I need, whether it's inner peace or, or calm or, or wisdom or, or strength. But uh, others may not come to it in, with that understanding or expectation. It might just come with it. I don't know what to expect. I don't know who this God is. I'm not sure if I even believe in God. They can just come and sit and use the sacred word and open to the present moment and, and life and just see what happens. Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like even if someone doesn't believe in God, there's still like wisdom, <clears throat> wisdom that anyone can get from just, you know, sitting with themselves, even, you know, even, you know, without, without us forcing it. That's the thing. Like so much of the time we're trying to force like a, a an outcome or a thought, you know, things like that. But like, if you just like let things be, sometimes that's when the real magic happens. I, I agree. And I think of, you know, centering prayer, people will say, well, you're just meditating and I'll say I am. But for me, it's, it's two things. It's, it's meditation, but also a, a relationship with God where I'm just opening to the presence and actions of God within me beyond my words and my thoughts um, and that's what I believe. And I understand not everybody might believe that and that's okay. So yes, there, there are benefits just to meditating. Um, I believe that I'm meditating, but I'm also deepening my relationship with God um, as part of my silent meditation practice. Why do you think people avoid silence? Um, many different reasons. One, some, some people have a lot of thoughts that come up during the silence that they don't want to deal with. So if they keep themselves busy, they don't have to deal with whatever thoughts come up is, is one, I think, reason. Uh, Another reason is perhaps they're, they fear God or they don't know if God loves them or their version of God is, is a, is a God who doesn't like them. So the idea of sitting with this God could be very (laughs) scary and, and daunting. Some people feel that it's not productive and, and they sh- and it's not and they're too busy and they need to be doing things, not just sitting. And, and, and to that, that, I'll counter that at least I've experienced the time that I and, and no matter how busy I am, I stop and do my centering prayer second sit. And as I mentioned earlier, maybe sometimes two sits. I find that I'm even more productive when I look back at the very end of the day and look back at what I accomplished. I, I got a ton done despite stopping for you know a second, twenty minutes or so. Um, and so I, I highly encourage people. So so I think some people say I don't have time to practice centering prayer. I'm too busy, and I, and I'll counter with I have found I'm more productive because I took time for my first sit and then my second sit and sometimes third sit um, as a result instead of keep going, I paused and it kind of refreshed me and restarted me. Because if you think about it, you let go during centering prayer, we let go of our engaged thoughts and the letting go we do in centering prayer follows us into our daily life. So I can let go of what I don't need to do and hone in and focus on what I need to do. And that, and that, and that helps. So I would say that's another reason is people feel they're too busy um, to practice centering prayer. You talk, you talked a little bit about, um, it helping you to like be able to go with the flow a little bit more and then also to kind of push your your i'm having trouble like not just to get out of my comfort zone is it yeah to like yeah to be able to get out of your comfort zone um and i was i guess wondering how has that made your life more enjoyable i would say because i'm experiencing new and exciting things that, that I didn't think I would experience. So, you know, 
I didn't know what to expect when I was challenged to write the book. And I realized, as we discussed earlier, that it was a, a lot of it was a really neat, powerful spiritual practice where I, I learned about myself through the writing. And then I could turn around and share it with others as they read it. So that that was really enjoyable. And then the idea of speaking, I've spoken in front of small, most of my speaking has been on Zoom, but even if you're going to speak in front of 20 people, or I spoke in front of a group of like 400 one time about a year and a half ago, um, initially it scared the heck out of me. And then I realized, well, it's no different than speaking to a small group of people. And then I realized I enjoyed it and I realized I, I can do this and I have something that I can help them and teach them and that they can learn from me. So it's just opened me up to be open to new experiences and just trust this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, so I mean, like remember when I got asked to speak at this conference and it scared the heck out of me, but I knew I should probably, it was a 10 people, there was 10 speakers. And I was, one, I was flattered because I thought, well, who am I? I? Some of these people have written many books and I have, you know, one book that I've written and who am I to be on this slate? And then I realized, well, why am I saying that? Obviously this person who putting this program together thought I had, he liked my book and I had something important to say. So it's, I guess it's just in opened me up to finding new things to do. And it's also opened me up to accepting when, when I get asked to do something, just to try it and trust. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you're, you are having more fun in your life than you did uh, before you started the practice of centering prayer? I would, I would say I'm more spontaneous where I, I don't feel like every. Obviously, during my workday, that can be structured, but then I feel like outside of my workday, I'm more spontaneous. Where, what do we want to do tonight? Um, where do we, is there, do we want to just run out, get ice cream with the kids? Do we want to go to a park or what do we want to do this weekend? I'm more spontaneous in that that's just kind of go with the flow. It doesn't need to be planned out. That's, that's just everybody get in the car and we're going to go. Or, or, or we're just getting the car. We don't know where we're going to go. Let's see where, where it takes us. So yeah, I think centering prayers helped me just let go and open the life and, and, and where it takes me and to just enjoy the present moment for, for what it is. Um, I always like to ask my um, guests, how do you define fun? Um, I, I guess for, for me, fun is being, uh, free. It, it's not judging. It's not being critical. It's just letting your inner child come out and play. And maybe we, we learn from our children, even my 15 year old still is just can be very spontaneous. And I mean, obviously, I watched him grow up, but he's still free and spontaneous. So I think being fun is letting go, which is what we do in centering prayer, not being critical, not being judgmental, and just having fun, singing out loud, skipping, doing something that uh, a child would do and, and letting yourself do it and, and letting yourself enjoy it. So not being, not taking ourselves so seriously. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Adults. Yeah. Are so serious, serious so much of the time. Yeah. Agree, agree, and sometimes it's I gotta stop and and, and inject and anything and, and inject humor. Even even during the workday, you know, I work with clients, and where appropriate, we can interject humor and have fun, so we can have a very serious discussion, but then have some fun to loosen up the mood and and interject a quick zap of humor before we go back to the topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, people feel like work has to be one hundred percent like serious and things like that, but people enjoy their, like their, their work so much more when they can have a little, a little sense of humor and a little, you know, just like little bursts of fun, you know, kind of. Yeah. Agree. So yeah, I think, so I think like a practice such as centering prayer helps us let go and, and allow ourselves to have fun, allow ourselves to, to be a child, allow ourselves just to do something we, th we think of as childish, but it's not, it's not childish in a bad way. It's just a way of just relaxing, letting loose and, and, and having, uh, enjoying the moment. For mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that people mistake having fun as being something that is, is childish, but I, but I think that all humans 
need to be able to have fun. So, yeah. Right. I think of my mom. Um, she had two friends. This goes back to when I was a, a young child. And, and I remember the, the two women's names and they had wonderful senses of humor. And, and the way I remember the waiter did not understand them at the time. And, and but it was we were at a Chinese restaurant. This is going back. Oh, my God, 45 or 50 years. And, and the Chinese waiter at the end, you know, asked everybody you know, anything else you need. And she goes, one large elephant to carry us all out of here. And he kind of he didn't know what to make of that. And we all broke out like she was just funny. You never knew what to expect out of the one woman's mouth. And, yeah. and he didn't. Well, he had no idea how to react to that. And she was trying to explain to him she was joking. She didn't mean he needed to go back in the kitchen and get an elephant. But so she she just was a fun person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is a good reaction, a good like uh, response to like, oh, uh, it's like, well, if you have this right. Um, yeah, that's great. I also like to ask people what their play personality is. There are eight play personalities according to the Institute of Play. Okay. It is the Joker, the Kinesthetic, the Competitor, the Storyteller, the Collector, the explorer, the creator, and and the director. And and, and these are. Give me the question again. I I was writing these categories oh, down. Play play personality. Play personality. Yeah. Okay. And people can be more than one. I consider myself right. to be three. I would say. I'm circling two of them as I wrote them down and I'm thinking of just I, every day when my, my son, we drive my son to school, he goes to a private school and we, we divide and conquer. So I drive in one direction and then my wife does it another. Um, so I think of with him, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a joker and a storyteller combined. Like I'm, we're, we're having fun together and I, and I'll just come up with zany things um, I'm kind of joking around with them, but zany story, but they're stories as well. So I'm sort of mm -hmm. a joker and a storyteller, and we're just having crazy conversations in the car that n nobody would believe or that don't make any sense. But they're just kind of fun and play, fun and playful. Or I might, re he might say something, and I, and I'll have a, a playful, joking reaction that then becomes this story. And then he's like, "Did you really do that?" And I'm like, no, I did not. I'm just joking with you. <laughs> so I definitely, definitely those two, as, as I think, as, as I think about it with my playful personalities, I like to joke around and, and I like to maybe embellish it a little bit as well with a story that's not, <laughs> that's kind of fun, but not necessarily happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, that's good that you just have like that spontaneous relationship with your son where you just are guys just go back and forth <laughs> like that. Yeah. What would uh, be your dream vacation? Dream vacation. I think, uh, I guess I love, I love Europe. Um, so it would be to ex take a month, if I could, with my wife, and we explore Europe. But maybe with a, on a cruise, like we, we this was pre-COVID, we went on a cruise. We were lucky, and and it was, it, it, it I think it, it started in Barcelona, and and it kind of cruised Italy, and I know we got a little bit of France, but I I, I wouldn't mind doing another type of European cruise. Well, I don't know if there's, I guess there's a month cruise. I'd have to really save a lot for that, I would imagine. But some somehow a month of exploring Europe, um, because Europe is just a whole lot of fun. The, the old the history is fun. The food is is wonderful. Um, so I would say one month tour of various countries in Europe would be a whole lot of fun with my wife. Yeah. The, yeah. And the Mediterranean seems oh, yeah. really amazing. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, some of the scenes I saw were just amazing. I mean, just beautiful. Yeah. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Hmm. Um. I guess it would be to see. I guess it's cheating. See what I'm what I'm capable of accomplishing. Like like sometimes I think we we, we hold ourselves back 
where we say we want to do something, and then we chicken out. So if, if I had a superpower, I could zoom into the future and see see that thing happening. I mean, I, I, I guess it's the same thing as picturing your mind. So getting better and better at, okay, this is something I want to do and try. And then my superpower is is really seeing it clearly in my mind, kind of what it looks like, and then just going for it. So kind of a superpower of not being afraid to try and do new things that seem way out of my comfort zone and, and seem too much for me to even think I should consider trying. Yeah. I've, I don't think I've ever heard someone uh, uh, talk about that as being a, a superpower, but I think that's a very, very good superpower. I mean, I think of, I mean, I think of, and that's, like with centering prayer, we're, we're, you know, we're connecting to this infinite God. We, we have everything we need within us and we just don't realize it or we don't believe it or we don't want to believe it. Like anything we need is, is really within us. Anything we, you know, and wisdom and resources and strength and courage and energy are all within us. And if we really, really believe that, you can do almost anything you want to do, you know, obviously within reason, but you can mm -hmm. accomplish and do a whole lot more than you give yourself credit for. So I think a superpower would be to, to let go of all my fears and worries and, and, and go for it and just really trust the inner infinite resources that are within me from God. Yeah. Yeah. We, I guess the superpowers is really believing I'm one with God and together we can do many things that I, that alone I can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. When you were a kid, what subject did you really like? I'm trying to think. I would say... I think I think I think I liked I like to read. So I think I liked English. Like I remember in sixth grade, I know it sounds kind of dorky, but we I remember I specifically remember in sixth grade and, and this we used to have to diagram sentences and and I and I was good at it. Like you would write a sentence and you would have to be and then you would have to be able to say what's the subject, what's the verb, what's what are all the different prepositional phrases. So I think I actually enjoyed English and, and understanding all that. And, and, and as a result of that, I, you know, I, I liked reading. And maybe that's why I wrote many, many, many years later, because I liked sentences and structures and I liked reading that then all of a sudden I was nudged by Amos Smith. Well, you need to write. So I, I would say, I guess, English when I was young, believe it or not, I liked English. Well, that's good. What's your favorite season? Um, I would say probably the, I'm going to say the fall, we moved, we recently moved from Pennsylvania um, to North Carolina. So we've moved to warmer weather. So I'm going to say, obviously in Pennsylvania, I think it, it was the fall because then it started getting cooler and stuff and the colors and all. I, I think I'm going to say the same thing. I think I like more toward the, the fall and, and I think here I'm going to really enjoy um, kind of the fourth quarter of the year because up north I'll know it's snowing in winter and here I'll know, well, it's still 60 and this is nice and I can still wear shorts. So I'm, I'm guessing that I'm really, really going to enjoy the fourth quarter because I couldn't enjoy it as much. Not that I didn't enjoy it up there, but I, we moved to get away from the cold weather and the snow. So I think we're really going to enjoy the fourth quarter and, and the mild weather and, and not having to pack on winter coats and, and deal with snow and, and bad road conditions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Snow, like it, snow is beautiful, but snow also sucks. <laughs> but the fall is, is just fun with the trees and the colors and just that time of years is, is nice as you're approaching the holidays. Yeah. It is beautiful. It's an exciting part of the year. So I don't mind Christmas with no snow. I, don't, I can still enjoy Christ, the Christmas holiday with all its lights and beauty. And, and I can do that in 70 degree weather as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, actually, that doesn't sound bad to me either. <laughs> <laughs> what is a goal that you're working towards? I would say it's... Well, right now it's, it's, it's writing that second book. Um, so that's really one of the... Before that, it was we moved. So moving was was 
that was a big goal. When, as soon as my job became remote, we, we wanted to move um, to North Carolina, which we made happen in January of this year. So right now, um, really one of my main goals is, uh, well, really two, two or three is one is, is writing the second book. But the other goals are, you know, my son is 15, is, is making sure um, he's, he's doing well in, in school and, and, and flourishing. And my daughter's 21, lives with us and just helping her. She loves it here and she lives with us. So, so really um, writing the book, making sure my son, who's 15, is, is flourishing and enjoying and, and learning well at school and making sure my daughter is, is, is uh, working and, and happy. Sounds mm, good. Where do you see yourself in five years? Five years, hopefully still in this house, which we, which we, we love. So I'll still be working my day job. But I, I guess I see myself with, with the third book written. Ho- hopefully I'll have had three published books. So I have the one book and hope the second book will be published. And so I'm, I'm highly optimistic that there, a third book idea would be in there. So I see myself with, with three books um, published. I see myself with... Uh, more, more coaching clients. And I see myself with more um, speaking opportunities that just naturally come up because people have read my books and find them interesting and want me to speak in front of them. So probably more speaking opportunities um, and three published books rather than just the one. Nice. Yeah. What's something that's making you happy this week? Um. My granddaughter is here, and maybe we mentioned this before we began recording, but my, my granddaughter is seven. My wife flew up to Philadelphia yesterday to meet the mother at, at the Philadelphia International Airport, and then they she jumped back, you know, went back to the airport and got on a, a, a flight a few hours later. So that I'm really looking forward to. My granddaughter is here with my son. We gave my son the day off today. Don't tell the school that. And, and um, <laughs> they're having fun. But I'm just looking forward to just enjoying a, a, a seven-year-old granddaughter bouncing around our house this weekend um, through Sunday until my wife um, takes her back home on Sunday. Yeah, that, that'll be really fun. How about some word associations? Okay. What do you think of when you think of fire? I think of um, being inspired and being like being on fire with desire and, and um, to do things. Um, to set new goals and to set exciting goals. So I, I, I think of it as kind of igniting and a passion within you and just and going for it. What do you think of when you think of money? That many good things can be done with it. The, the more you make, it's not because you want to just be loaded and have the more money you have, the more you can serve. You can help people in need and you can help your own friends and family. Um, so I, I think of it as it, it can it it can serve people and provide much needed uh, support and help for you know, the community as well as your own friends and family. Yeah, definitely. What about beach? Beach. I, I guess um, I just think of we're not beach people in that we lie in the beach. Um, we don't like the sand, but I love the beach. I guess I just think of calm, peaceful, relaxing let go yeah space space um that's a good one i I guess i would say the the enormity of god and that the god is 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 in the smallest particle within an atom and god is in in space and in the universe that they tell us is expand so i I think of a, a cosmic god that's forever expanding and and limitless Dance. Dance? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. I would say it's just let go and, and have fun whether you think you can dance or not. So just kind of let go, relax, and, and be spontaneous. Uh, home. Home, I, I would say relaxing, comfortable, um, where, where, where I belong, where, where I feel where I feel I'm using the word home and where I feel at home and yeah. comfortable and, and it, it's a nat- natural place that, that I belong um, and return to for inner peace and inner calm and relaxation. Tree. 
These are good. Um, you know, I guess as at, at, at our backyard, we, we, we have kind of about a half an acre, most of our properties behind us. So we have kind of grass and then a slight hill. And then we actually have some wooded area and there's a lot of trees. So I sit out back and I just look at these beautiful trees. So I, I just, they, they, they just bring me in or it's like my little oasis of just sitting out back and looking at the trees and the leaves. And it's just so beautiful. And I don't need to do anything else except just sit there or, and I'm with my wife or my daughter. So I, I guess I just think of kind of a, an oasis of peace and calm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last one. Uh, light. Light. Um, I, I guess I, I would think of it as, you know, it, it helps us see things um, that maybe we don't know, like we need the light, put the light on something is, is help us see something that we didn't see before. And maybe it was in the dark, but we, now that you can see it and, and experience it and see, see its beauty. So I guess just seeing things that we missed their beauty before. And, and because it was dark or we weren't even looking at them in the right manner. So just being able to see the beauty and the natural beauty around us or hear the natural beauty or sound, like taking a walk at night, um, whether it's even when it's dark, there is some light and just noticing the stars, noticing the clouds, clouds, feeling the wind blow on you, feeling the, the ground on your feet, just letting everything come alive. Yeah. Um, how about let's do two truths and a lie. And then uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I like this because it gives people the opportunity to tell me a story. Okay. So I'm a big fan of this. All right. I'll give you a second to think of your two truths and a lie. Oh, okay. So I have to. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> Put me to work here. Two truths. And so I would just say, and you are going to have to guess of the three I say, what, what, what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hope I'm not taking too long. <laughs> I no. guess I don't like, I don't like to lie, <laughs> but I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun lie. Um, I guess I, I've been to, and I'll write these down so I remember them. I've been to Moscow five times. Um, I love corn and one more. And are you then are you supposed to guess? Is that what you're gonna do? Or yeah. <laughs> okay, so I've been to Moscow five times. I, I love corn and I like to go to uh, I like to go to bed late. Oh. <laughs> I guess I was making this harder than it need to be. So that's no, okay. Um, so yes, two of them are truths. One is one is is a lie. <laughs> I, I don't know. You haven't been to Moscow five times. That is true. I've been to Moscow. I'm two of my children are adopted. Um, oh. So I had, and they're both from Russia, different periods of time. So I, I was in, in Russia in 1998. And then I was also in Russia in 2000 and 2001. Believe wow. it or not, I think it was five times total as a result of the various adoption processes at the time. So that one was true. Never That's thought cool. I would go to go to Moscow five times, but yeah, <laughs> but for good reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. What what can you tell me about Moscow? Um, obviously, the last time I was there was two thousand one. I can say the people were wonderful. The people were proud people. They were we and we had a facilitator that so when we when we got when we flew in, they met us at the airport. She spoke wonderful English. There was a driver as part of the process. And they were just wonderful, proud people of their country and, and very nice people. Um, so that that was neat. And and the sad part was to see some of the conditions that people were living in. Um, poor country and some of their living conditions. But the, the people were a proud people. And, and very nice people. So you, you might see the news and see one thing, but uh, they're people just like the, the rest of us. So that was that was kind of a, but a very different way of living and, and a very, like 
when we did the adoption stuff that we had to get done in order to get things accomplished, you, you use bribes as part of the process. I didn't bribe oh. anybody, but for example, we needed, you know, passports and we needed for the child and we needed different things done to get them done more quickly. You were giving them boxes of candy. You were giving them bottles of, of, of vodka. You were giving them money on top of what it costs. So that's how mm. it worked. That and maybe it's still the same way. This is, you know, 20 plus years ago, but the system worked with bribes. And even it was a formality, but we had to go to court and there was a prosecutor that would ask us questions and they told us, don't worry, it's just a formality and you're, they're not going to deny it, but, but it's a court, you know, and you know, there'll be a prosecutor and even the judge could tell we were nervous and he was very serious. And, and then he looked at me and he winked and I looked at my wife and Did the judge just wink at me and he was just trying to tell me, relax, you're fine. But um, after it was all official and we adopted, I remember the, uh, I think it I think it was Ben. It was our first son. Uh, I was told to take a bottle of vodka and go into the judge's quarters and, and thank him and give him a bottle of vodka and cry if I could. Well, you never would do something like that in the U.S. Yeah. So it was just like just a different world and a different way of doing things where can you imagine doing that here? Like going into the well, you wouldn't even get into the judge's quarters. But can you imagine going into yeah. the judge and giving him a bottle of whiskey after if you some court favor went in your <laughs> went in your favor? <laughs> so yeah, no, Russia was very, a very unique experience, different way, a very different way of life. Mm -hmm, definitely. <laughs> even though it was 20 years ago. It's probably possibly still the same. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still very much the same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can never judge the people of a place no. based on their government. You know, no, they were very nice people. And then the facilitator was wonderful. And the driver didn't speak a whole lot of English, but she was just fun. I mean, she had a Mercedes. It was a tank. And she was, she, she looked at us and goes Russian tank. She was just so funny. <laughs> and then, or I remember we, we got in a car and first, and we were driving to the hotel. This was the first day. And I remember her all of a sudden pulling the car over and she goes, get out of car. I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, are we getting thrown out of the car on the highway? I'm like, we're not moving. Just stay here. And she kept saying, get out of car. And we didn't know what she was saying. She, she, there was a beautiful um, church and she wanted us to take a picture of it. Then we realized what she, she was like, take picture, hurry up. So then we realized what she was doing. She um, wanted us to take a picture of this beautiful church. So she was being very friendly, but at first we, we thought we were getting thrown out of the car, but yeah. then, cause she's like, get out of car. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm not getting out of the car. And then she's like, take picture. And then I'll come over. I said, now I get it. She wants us to take a picture. She's not gonna leave us here. And that's exactly what she, so she was just a whole lot of fun with yeah. the limited English she spoke. <laughs> 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 You're gonna ban me in Ru in Russia? What? <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, that's quite an experience. Um, okay, I still haven't guessed which one is um, not true. You don't like to go to bed late. That is, um, I don't like to go to bed late. No that that one is that one is true. That one is true. Oh, okay. So. So you you do not like corn, okay? <laughs> right, but I like corn muffins, corn bread. I don't like corn. I've never liked corn. My family always made fun of me because I I could not stand the taste of corn. But I love corn meal, corn bread, corn muffins, just not plain corn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I what I wonder what it is about corn that you don't like. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like the flavor. I don't. I don't know. It just makes me <laughs> can't, I can't eat like, it so yeah i guess that was probably a good one because most people probably like corn and they or like corn in the cob or or you can put it on a grill and cook it that way and people love that well not me yeah <laughs> most people love corn that's why i didn't guess it. i was just like everyone loves corn what <laughs> so you you stumped me good job <laughs> all right thank you um all right i'm gonna let let you go because it's been more than an hour where That's can okay. the audience find you would you mind uh reminding them of your email of your uh website sure they can find me at silenceteaches.com um to learn more about and i have a free centering prayer ebook it's a very short ebook that they can read so when they subscribe they can get a free centering prayer ebook 
Um, and then if they want to, if they like it and it piques their interest, they could further check out my book, which is also on my website and then see what else I have going on. But silenceteaches.com is the best place to find me. Great. Thank you so much for being on. No, this was a whole, a whole lot of fun. I, I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Me too. You're very welcome. Have a good rest of your day and a good weekend with your granddaughter. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. You too.